Thank you for joining in for this City Lights Church podcast. We're a new church in the north of Brisbane, and you can find out more about us at www.citylights.community. We hope that this podcast encourages you in your journey of following Jesus. That's great. Well, today is Breakthrough Sunday, and, uh, and I believe that God has already prepared your breakthrough. Uh, so if you're ready to receive your breakthrough this morning, that's a good thing because God's got that planned. Are you ready for your breakthrough this morning? Yes. All right, well, to explore that, uh, I just want to quickly turn to the Gospel of John. And we're just going to talk out of a story that most of you will be familiar with. And if you're not, that's okay. We're going to go through it. Uh, and it's a story about making sure there was an abundance of wine at a celebration. Who likes this story already? <laughs> Amen. I love our Lord. He loves a party. He, matter of fact, there is a plan of salvation that, uh, that God's actually sown throughout the whole narrative of the Bible. And, uh, and it's, it's actually described uh, on a macro level through the seven feasts of Israel. So, so get this. There's a story of salvation that, that God himself wrote, and he chose parties to point it out. He chose feasts to point it out. Who loves food? That's me, man. I love food. I've got a ministry of food. Like, I just, that's a, that's a calling on my life. And, uh, and I, I love the fact that God obviously gave me that calling because getting around with people, friends, family, enjoying a meal together, I think it's one of the most simple and pure joys of life. And God obviously agrees because not only is he often eating and drinking with his disciples and with those that he was teaching, but also with those that he has fellowship with, which is now you and I, his plan of salvation revolves around feasts. Salvation revolves around feasts. Matter of fact, if you think about it this way, God starts his ministry at a wedding. It's where he starts his ministry. We're about to read that, that John, the writer of this gospel, he says that this was the beginning of signs. In other words, this is the first thing Jesus did in his public declaration of who he was as Messiah as the saviour of the world. His first declaration of that was at a wedding. And the very last thing that we see in the ministry of Jesus is we all get to hang out with him at the marriage supper of the Lamb. So it starts at a wedding and it ends at a wedding. And I love the fact that we are going to the marriage supper of roast lamb because that is, that is my favourite meal. You ask anybody, I'm not making this up for the purposes of this sermon, my favourite meal is roast lamb, is it not, Tiara? Like, I love roast lamb with roast taties and roast beetroot, and roast pumpkin, sweet potato, roast garlic, rosemary stuffed into lamb. Is anyone, is anyone feeling the anointing this morning? Well, see, once again, Jesus and I are in agreement because the, the wedding feast in heaven is a roast lamb. I, I, I may not be able to back that up biblically. There may be some conjecture in that, but either way, uh, Jesus' ministry starts with a wedding and it ends with a wedding. So let, let's have a look through this story and we're just going to pick through some, some, uh, some points here that we can apply to our life. And where we're going to end is, where we're going to land is that God's breakthrough is much more than anything 
that is your challenge or your hindrance. That God has already provided much more than what you will ever need to thrive in life, to flourish in life, for your breakthrough. It's already been provided. That's good news, isn't it? So I don't know what situation or circumstance that you are in the middle of right now. I don't know what's being a hindrance to your next step or your next spiritual step or maybe something in your physical world that is a hindrance to you right now. The good news and where we're going to end and where we're going to land today is that God has provided much more. Can you say what much more? I need your heart to grab onto the much more that we have in Christ. And to do that, let's, uh, let's pick up the story in, in John chapter 2, verse 1. And it says this, On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. I want you to take note of this. Okay, the Gospel of John, let's have, let's have a look at him because um, we need to understand where he's coming from and to help us place this story a little bit better. Uh, John is, is writing this uh, as an old man. Now, John was quite a young disciple when he was walking around and hanging out with Jesus. He was one of his disciples, but he's actually writing this much later uh, in life. Matter of fact, he's reflecting back. This is probably written somewhere around 94 AD or somewhere around that, maybe even a little bit later. Uh, and so this isn't, this isn't really like a historical account, although it's historically accurate, but it's not a historical account like Matthew, Mark and Luca. Uh, John's trying to theologically put forward some really great evidence for the fact that Jesus is God. Because this is now much later, a few decades have passed and there's some murmurings in the church and some other teachings are coming in that maybe Jesus was half God, half man, a bit like Hercules. Or maybe that Jesus was completely God and it was just a, a facade of his humanity. And, and John's trying to set the record straight. He's like, no, he is, he is 100% God and he was 100% human at the same time. And so the, the theological fine print is scattered throughout his gospel because he's trying to lay some evidence here. He's almost like a lawyer trying to provide all the details of evidence. So there's no, there's no small details here that aren't really of any insignificance or every single detail has some significance. So John painstakingly points out on the third day, on the third day, Jesus was at a wedding feast which is really cool to understand that as a human, Jesus went to weddings. He wasn't like this recluse. He wasn't a monk that lived in a cave and just was completely spiritual at all times. But Jesus went to parties. Jesus went to weddings. Jesus was just like you and I. He had cousins and friends and family. He had a, he had a mother. We're about to meet her. And, and, and going to weddings on the weekend was something that he did. And as on the third day here that John points out that this wedding feast took place. That's significant. Because in the first couple of chapters, matter of fact, we're only in chapter 2 right now, John is up to the seventh day of his, of, his, his, of his history on Jesus' account here. So this is taking place on the seventh day, but it's on the third day that John is pointing out. The third day of what? The third day after he met Nathaniel. So he's pointing out that it's the third day, but it's also the seventh day. What's significant about that? Where, where are you going with this? Well, uh, you, know, you all know how the Gospel of John starts out. It starts out with basically almost a, a mirror image of how Genesis starts out. That is a creation narrative going on here. That in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And, and so there's a beginning of creation, and so there's a tying back to the seventh day of creation. What happened on the seventh day of creation? Nothing. Everyone chilled. It was the rest day. It's re we all just rested in God. There was complete provision, complete protection. There was the perfect presence of God. 
humanity was designed for the seventh day. Humanity was made on the sixth day. But the natural habitat and environment of humanity is in the seventh day rest of God. You were made for rest. And all the Aussies said, hallelujah. Because we, we love rest, us Aussies. Like, we love it, right? Uh, but rest in our minds isn't like the way it is in the Bible. Rest in the Bible is more akin to God's empowerment, God's provision, God's grace, God's environment that he... Like Adam had a lot of work to do in the garden. He had to name all the animals. He had to tend the garden. He had to extend the garden. There was work in the garden, but it was a work from rest. Why? Because God had already provided. And so on the seventh day of John's account here, he's also a linking it to the third day. What happened on the third day? The resurrection of Jesus. Third day is synonymous with the powerful resurrection of our Christ. And so already John's making a theological link here between the third day power of the resurrection and the seventh day rest that we were designed to live in. Here's the good news that John's trying to point out to you, that the rest that God has designed for you to live in, the provision, the protection and the presence of God has actually been delivered, not by your own hands, but by the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Isn't that good news? We don't need to achieve our our provision, our protection and our presence out of our own hands. Thank goodness for that. It's delivered by the empty tomb of Jesus Christ. Is that a good story already? We're only end of verse 1. I should probably keep going a bit quicker, hey, otherwise we might be here and we'll be having roast lamb for lunch on our laps. Yeah. Now, both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, that, that sounds a bit abrupt, doesn't it? That, that kind of sounds like Jesus was a little bit disrespectful to his mama there for a little second. But in actual fact, it's, it's, it's the opposite. The opposite is going on here. Jesus is actually responding to her quite respectfully. Now, men, I wouldn't, I wouldn't advise you, even though I'm saying this is quite a respectful term to say to I wouldn't advise saying that to your wife when she says, can you please do the dishes? Don't respond with woman. What does your concern have to do with me? Doesn't translate. Jewish culture, first century Israel culture, modern day Australian culture, there's going to be a breakdown in interpretation there, all right? So, but in first century Israel, you see John, the author, always refers to Jesus, always refers to Mary, I should say, as the mother of Jesus. So the author is always referring to Mary in relationship to who he was in comparison to Jesus. Whereas Jesus is actually responding to her as her own person. So he, he, Jesus is not even saying mother, he's saying woman. He's declaring her to be her own person. This is quite a term of respect, really. Jesus is making her not just my own mother, but as John is doing, but actually saying, no, you're valuable yourself. You have your own story. You have your own life. You have your own ability and your own call, your own anointing. And I love how Jesus always deals with everyone with such dignity and respect. That's his heart. That's his nature. And I want you to know, maybe you don't know much about Jesus, but this is what you do need to know about him, is that he looks at you as your own person and treats you with dignity and respect because every single life matters to Jesus. There is no insignificant life. 
You're not just because of your relationships. You're not defined by who you are or who your dad is or who your mum is or what job you do. You're defined by who you are in Jesus. And he calls you your own person and he calls you valuable and he calls you significant. And so Jesus is referring to his mother here. He's saying, what does your concern have to do with me? A better way and probably a more apt way of us understanding what he's saying is that, that, that what you're trying to achieve here and what my father is trying to achieve here, they're not lining up at the moment. That, that, that's all he's saying. He's saying we've got different purposes at the moment. But notice this. Even though Jesus says we've got different purposes at the moment, notice that Mary doesn't pay much attention to that. Like the father and the son have got a purpose here. And Jesus is saying to Mary, this is our purpose. It's not really to turn water into wine. We've got a different purpose going on here. Mary doesn't really pay attention to that. She just says to the servant, she's like, well, just whatever he says, you do it. And then what does the father and the son do? Whatever mama said. (laughs) Mama, Mary, changed the father and the son's mind. If you think about it. Jesus said our purposes aren't aren't aligned here, yet they jumped on board with Mary's plan. Isn't that significant that actually, and this isn't the only time it happens in Scripture, Moses changed God's mind. God was like, as Israelites, let's wipe them all out, Moses, I'll start again with you. And Moses was like, well, wait a minute, I've got a better idea. And God changes, uh, sorry, Moses changed God's mind. And and there's, there's other times, he did it with Abraham as well, Abraham changed God's mind. Do you know, God is interested in not dominating you, but having a personal, intimate relationship with you. He's interested in your thoughts. He's interested in who you are. He's interested in your opinions. Now, at the end of the day, he's sovereign and he's God, so don't take that too far. But it's a personal relationship that God wants with you. It's not a robotic slave relationship. He wants to know you personally and he's interested in your thoughts. We underestimate the gift of free will and how much God, how seriously God takes that in our lives. And so he says to his, uh, his mother, said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. And so Mary basically says, I, I know we're at different plans here, but we're going to jump on with my plans. Do you know, one thing I'm going to take up with God when I get to heaven is why do women's prayers get answered more than men's? That, that's biblical, sort of. <laughs> I mean, uh, have you ever heard a testimony of somebody who's like, yeah, I was far away from God, and, and, uh, and, but my praying dad uh, just you know, brought me back into the... I've never heard that testimony. Not anybody in the world has that testimony. That testimony only ever exists in this format. I was away from God, and my mum was praying. I had a grandma praying. Yeah, I had a grandma praying or a mama praying. Like God listens to women more. And I think it's because of this reason here. Jesus had a mum. So Jesus listens to mums more uh, for whatever reason. Now, all jokes aside, there actually is a strength to a woman's prayers. And I believe that. There's spiritual leadership and headship in, in, in men that God has gifted. But I tell you what, there's a spiritual strength in women that men need to tap into as well. Uh, there's one, of the, one of the cultural aspects of, of, of Judaism is that it's actually the mom who ushers in the presence of God into the home. That, that, that the mother, that's why the mother lights the, what's called the Shabbat or the Sabbath candles. They, they, 
they rest, they always light the candles because it's seen as the responsibility of the mum to usher in the presence of God. There's, there's a spiritual strength there. We say it like this. We recognise it in, in this format. If, uh, if the mama ain't happy, ain't no one happy. <laughs> but, but really, that's, that's, that's the strength in reverse. That if mom is setting a peace in the atmosphere and setting the atmosphere of a presence of God in the home, that, if, that, that the mom is taking a house and turning it into a home, then, then there's just a spiritual strength there to bring peace into that atmosphere, peace into the child's lives, peace into the family table, peace into the home. Uh, there, there's a beautiful strength there that I believe is, that Mary's demonstrating here. And so she says to the servants, whatever he says, do it. Now there were six water pots of stone. Pay attention to six according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. And you want to do a quick conversion. We're talking about 500 litres thereabouts. There's about 500 litres of water there in those, in those six water pots. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take, take them to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water, that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. The beginning of signs, remember we talked about that before, the beginning of signs is the first thing Jesus did. Jesus did in Cana of Galilee, and that manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Now, there's a lot that really went down there. Let's have a look at this. Let's tie it all together. Essentially, Jesus has not revealed himself publicly as the Messiah. He has not actually said to people in any demonstration of a sign, a miracle, or a wonder. And he even indicated to Mary, look, it's not really my time. The Father and I have got different plans, and I can only do what... He tells me to do, uh, so it's not really time. I haven't really heard to do a miracle or a sign yet. So, But Mary's like, no, let's do it. And so this is actually the first sign. Now, a sign's different to a miracle. What does a sign do? A sign indicates. A sign points. And so whatever this miracle is, it's a sign. What's it a sign of? It's pointing to an important declaration about salvation and redemption. And more importantly... It's an indication and a sign of Messiah. Now, if you've never heard that word Messiah, it would be what we would basically call a saviour. Israel was always looking for a Messiah because it was prophesied that a Messiah would come and save them, save them from anything that basically forced them to be in slavery. And, and there's a, a few pictures of what slavery looks like, but it was both spiritual and physical. There are prophecies in the Old Testament right throughout that it wasn't just spiritual saving that they were looking for. They were looking for a military leader as well to physically free them. And, and so there are prophecies about what that would look like and how to recognize the Messiah. One of those prophecies, or one of those repetitive prophecies, I should say, in several places is the fact that there would be an abundance of wine. Now, there are spiritual meanings and then there are literal applications. And, and so we need to differentiate that appropriately. And so when there is an abundance of wine, there's a motif and a picture repetitively in the Old Testament that talks about that the hills would be flowing with wine. And, and that would be a sign that Messiah 
has come to set up his kingdom. Now, obviously, the hills aren't going to be literally flowing with wine. That's a picture of wine representing the joy of salvation, the happiness, the love, the peace of salvation. But yet, Jesus also does literally fulfill it in one sense, because 500 litres of water was turned into wine. 500 litres of water was turned. That's an abundance of wine by any stretch of the imagination. There is a complete abundance of wine. What's Jesus? What's the sign Jesus is saying in his first miracle? The Saviour is here. Messiah is here. The abundance of joy is here. The abundance of my grace is here. The abundance of my healing is here. The abundance of my provision is here. Let's have a look at a couple of these verses, just so you can get the picture of what the, what the Old Testament saints were looking for in Messiah. Joel, uh, first of all, actually, let's have a look at Amos 5.11, because this is what it looks like when there isn't an abundance of wine. It says this, you have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink wine from them. Why? Because there was judgment. There was a withdrawal. You weren't, uh, uh, you weren't knitted to God. So there, there's a withdrawal of wine, of joy, of provision when you aren't with God. Yet if you, if you have a look at the other verses, Joel 2.19, let's start there. The Lord will answer and say to his people, Behold, I will send you grain and new wine and oil. Now that's a picture of the new covenant that we walk in. That there's grain, there's the word of God, there's wine, there's God's redemption and salvation and oil of the Holy Spirit. That's a picture of the new covenant. And you will be satisfied by them. I will no longer make you a reproach among the nations. Joel 2.24, a little bit further on. The threshing floors shall be full of wheat and the vats shall overflow with new wine and oil. This is all prophecies about what would happen when Messiah turns up. Joel 3.18. And it shall come to pass in that day that the mountains shall drip with new wine. You see the repetitive nature. The Jews, were look, they're looking for, for overflowing of wine. Zechariah 9.17. For how great is his goodness, talking about Messiah, and how great its beauty. Grain shall make the young men thrive, and new wine the young women. And here's another one. I'll just finish this off. Amos 9.13. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper, and the treader of grapes, him who sows seed. The mountains shall drip with sweet wine, and the hills shall flow with it. What is Jesus saying in this first miracle? What's John pointing out to us when he says this is the beginning of signs is that Messiah, Jesus Christ himself, is now saying there is an abundance of wine in my ministry. There's an abundance of healing. There's an abundance of joy. There's an abundance of whatever you need, whatever slave driver you have in your life, whatever is holding you back, whatever's got you bound, whatever is no longer keeping you from freedom is no longer going to be the problem when Messiah turns up because there's an abundance in Messiah. Whatever breakthrough you need today, there's an abundance in Messiah. Now, here's the thing. Here's the beautiful part of it. What did Jesus use for the wine? He used six water pots made of stone. There's a clue there that it's made of stone. Anything holy unto the Lord had to be hewn out of stone. Why? Because that, is, that was uh, for the purposes of purification. So in other words, six representing the number of man, there were six water pots of stone. What, were those, what was that water used for? 
It wasn't for drinking. It was for washing of hands. It was for making sure they were ceremoniously clean. It was so that they could actually purify themselves. Those six water pots were not for consumption. They were for cleansing. What did Jesus use as the demonstration of the new covenant? He took six man, the way in which man would cleanse himself is now done away with. And Messiah has now put new wine in the way that humanity used to cleanse themselves. The way that you used to try and get reconciliation with God, the way in which you tried to be one with God, the way in which you tried to please God, the way in which you tried to attain God's love, the way in which you tried to approve, uh, get your approval from God in your holiness and your righteousness, that's all done away with now. The six water pots of stone are done away with and the joy of salvation has been provided through Jesus Christ. It's no longer your effort. It's no longer your performance. God's not looking for your holiness or how you live in order for you to be accepted because now you are accepted in Christ Jesus through the joy of salvation and the abundance of his wine that now makes you the holiness of the Lord. You are now made holy through the atoning work of Messiah, Jesus Christ. Paul, reflecting on this, he points it out in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. The six water pots of stone, they're gone. The way in which you used to achieve perfection through the law, it's gone. You're now a new creation in Christ Jesus. You're now living in his abundance. All things have become new. But really, one of the Best pictures of this is that the way in which the law worked, the first sign of Moses, the first miracle of Moses was to turn water into blood, which is a pretty good picture of how the law works. The law brings death. Matter of fact, Romans even says that the strength of sin is the law. So the first miracle that the giver of the law did was water into blood, yet the first miracle of the new covenant that came through Christ Jesus was water into the joy of salvation. That everything that we achieved through the law, it brought death. But everything that Jesus achieved through the new covenant brought life. And probably the best way to actually sum this up is with my favorite verse in the Bible. Do you want to come? We're going to start ministering here because I really, I, I just want to sum up all of this with, with one verse and, and it's Romans 5.17. And it says this, For if by one man's offense death reigned, much more. Everyone say much more. Much more. Those who receive the abundance of grace, the abundance of grace, the 500 liters of wine of grace, and the gift of righteousness shall reign through the one Jesus Christ. Much more, much more, much, much, much more, much, much more. This one verse sums up the whole Bible, the whole gospel for me. For if by one man's offense death reigned, much more came through the one Jesus Christ. Whatever sickness came through Adam, much more healing came through Jesus Christ. Whatever brokenness came through Adam, 
much more restoration came through the one, Jesus Christ. Whatever destruction came through Adam, much more peace came through the one, Jesus Christ. Whatever sin or poverty or curse came through Adam, much more grace, mercy and loving kindness came through the one, Jesus Christ. I've got great news for you this morning that no matter what situation or circumstance you're in right now, you may be feeling the effects of the curse. You may be feeling the effects of brokenness. You may be feeling dry and parched. You may be feeling anxiety. You may be feeling poverty. But I want you to know whatever you are experiencing, much more abundance of Christ's salvation has been provided through Jesus. It's freely yours to access. It's freely yours to access. Why don't we just close our eyes across this room right now? Because before I move on, I want to give an invitation to anyone who might not have received that free invitation. So if you don't know Jesus personally, if you haven't made Him the Lord and Savior of your life, and you want to choose the much more of His salvation. I want you just to raise your hand to God right now and say, God, that's me. I, I'm going to accept that gift. I'm going to say yes to the much more of Jesus Christ. Does anyone want to make a decision to follow Jesus this morning and received His gift of salvation? You can just raise your hand. It's really simple. God will see your heart and He will come. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about City Lights Church at www.citylights.community.